just, you know, like Colin mentioned earlier on, we were in the room earlier on praying and we could just sense the tangible presence of the Lord, you know. And so I want to encourage, I want to echo what Brother Colin was saying, come and join us. You know, just to prepare our hearts, just to settle them before we actually enter into worship. And even in the worship, as the team were leading us this morning, it was just a release. I don't know about you, but I was just loving our time, just worshipping God. So highly, highly recommend it and just encourage you and urge you to come and just be with him. Because he's good. Amen. And the Father delights in being with his children, you know. So, yeah, just, just come. Just before we come around the word, just, just bow your heads with me. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we wait on you. Father, we want to thank you. That, Lord, without you, God, we can do absolutely nothing. I can't even stand here, Father, and take my very next breath unless, Lord God, you were to give me, Father, that grace, Lord Jesus, to fill the capacity of my lungs, Father. And, Father, we pray, we thank you that, Lord, that you, Lord, are always faithful and so gracious that you always come, God. When we look to you, Lord, and we, Father, turn our attention to you, you are always there and so Holy Spirit we just pray right now that as we gather around your word Father will you anoint my mouth Lord God to bring forth your word Father for your people that God that we Lord may just see more of you and Father may your people be Lord built up encouraged exhorted Father to live Lord more Father for you God knowing the God that they serve So Holy Spirit, come and just breathe over us right now. And we give it all to you, God. All glory to your name. In Jesus' name. And the saints said, Amen. 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 Now, when I was considering what to bring over the course of the next few weeks, my mind was firing off into every different direction. As in, do we begin with doctrine or mission? Or perhaps evangelism or the local church? What to do and where to begin? But then, as I was having this internal dialogue, I thought that if we were to start anywhere, then surely the genesis or the origins ought to be with God. Because, after all, he is our bedrock. And unless we are building our house upon the solid foundations and the solid rock, it will collapse and crumble. True? You see, every one of us has a theology, which basically means a study of or an understanding of who and what God is. But the question is, is it a right theology or a wrong theology of God. Because if we get this wrong, then the building of our house, spiritually speaking, will either collapse or it will look something along the lines of the leaning tower of Pisa, all wonky and crooked and leaning to one side, as it were. 
But if we get this right, and if we understand it well, then I assure you that whatever may come our way and whatever storms may blow in our direction, we will be as solid as a rock and able to stand in the day of adversity. Amen. Amen. And so that said, I've entitled this brand new series as simply, Who is God? And I'm indebted to a number of theologians for this series, like Tim Mackey, John Mark Comer, and many others who have absolutely blessed me in the study. And I pray that it blesses you also. Amen? Amen. And so if you have your Bibles with you, then please open them up and come with me to the book of Exodus. And we're going to read from chapter 34 and verses 6 and 7. Now, we're going to camp here over the course of the next few weeks as we break it down line by line. And so, as part of your homework, you may want to commit these two verses to memory and just memorize them because not only will it bless your spirit man or woman, but every time we gather for this series, we will recite them together just to really drill it in and get it into our psyches. Amen? Amen. And so, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 should be up on the screen as well. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And then verse 8, for good measure, I love this, it says, And Moses quickly bowed his head to the ground and worshipped. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Amen. And so the question is, who is God? Now, many a great mind has pondered this question since the beginning of time. As in, is God nice or is he mean? Is he strong or is he weak? Is God close at hand and nearby, or is he, does he stand aloof and is far away in some distant galaxy somewhere? What is God like? And I believe that the way in which we answer this question, it will define the shape of our trajectory in our life. Because as A.W. Tozer once wrote, He said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Or as Spurgeon said, the way you view God will eventually show up in the way you live your life. In other words, what comes to mind when we think about God will shape us and form us. For instance, if we think of God as being this angry tyrant in the sky 
who is ready to chuck a thunderbolt at us at a moment's notice, then that will shape us into becoming an angry religious extremist. Alternatively, if we think of God as being this progressive, where it's all about peace and love to the detriment of truth, then that too will shape us into becoming a liberal hippie, if you like. Or if we think of God as being this cosmic personal life coach who only exists to make us happy, then firstly, we will be greatly disappointed and secondly, it will shape us into becoming a self-absorbed, self-focused narcissist where it's all about us. All that to say, what we think about God will ultimately shape us. As I said, every one of us has a theology of God. The Muslim, as well as the Buddhist. The Hindu, as well as the Sikh, as well as the Christian. That we all have a theology, but it's either right or wrong. And if we want to get a correct theology on who God is, then we have to go to source. And the source is found in the scriptures, namely our text, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And this is amazing. Because this is the only place where God himself describes himself. And because he does, these verses have become the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. I mean, most of the biblical authors from Moses onwards, they all keep circling back to this text over and over again. Why? Because it is God's self-disclosure as to who he is and what he is like. In fact, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is to the Jew what John 3, 16 is to the Western church, namely the most well-known and widely quoted verse in the Bible. Wow. You see, if we were to go and buy a book in the West today, it will probably begin by listing the attributes of God. As in, chapter 1, God is omniscient, that he is all-knowing. Chapter 2, as we were re- uh, singing this, this morning, God is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful. Chapter 3, God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere at the same time, and so on and so forth. And all of those things are true, 100%, no denying it. However, that's not the way that the ancients would begin to describe God, because that's not the way that God begins to describe himself. I mean, he doesn't begin with his omni-attributes, but rather he begins by describing his character. And he says... That he is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And on 
it goes. Now, today, I just want to give you a a brief overview and an introduction before we break it down in coming weeks. And so, allow me to set the text in its context. So, the children of Israel have been rescued out of Egypt and have been brought to Sinai. And as Moses goes up to the mountain to receive God's law, the people become restless and rebellious and begin to worship a golden calf. Moses returns and he is angry. And so he smashes the tablets of stone on at the base of the mountain. And then in Exodus 34, he returns to receive the law a second time. And so that's just a a bit of the backdrop of our text. Now, in Exodus 33, in verse 7 onwards, we read that whenever Moses wanted to speak with God, he would usually pitch a tent outside of the camp. And this became known as the tent of meeting. And whenever the Lord, whenever Moses met with the Lord, he would enter into the tent and a pillar of cloud, God's presence would descend and cover the entrance of the tent. And Moses would commune with God face to face. Wow. And whenever he did, the children of Israel would stand outside of the entrance of their tents and worship. And then from verse 12 onwards, it's as if we get to eavesdrop and listen in on one of these conversations between God and Moses. And we hear Moses say, Now God, if I have found favor in your sight, then please show me your ways. What's he asking for? For God to show him how he operates, what he agrees with and disagrees with, what he loves and hates and what he is passionate about. Show me your ways that I may know you. Now, if you know anything about the Exodus story, then you will know that they weren't exactly the easiest people to lead unlike the good people of Lighthouse Church, I'm sure. (laughs) And so in verse 13, Moses says, consider too that this nation is your people. In other words, this messed up community of people is your problem, God. And the Lord replies with, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And the Lord says, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. And then comes that famous line from Moses where he says, God, show me your glory. Praise God. Now, glory in today's terms it would mean something along the line of, lines of fame, renown, or celebrity. 
It's like a lot of our young people no longer desire to become doctors or lawyers or some other respectable profession. But rather, they all want to become an influencer of some sort. Be it a YouTuber, a TikToker, or an Instagrammer. Just garnering a ton of likes and shares for their content. And so that's what glory would be in the, ter- in the, the eyes of the world. Not so in the ancient world. Because the word glory in the Hebrew Bible, is it means a weightiness, a heaviness, presence, or beauty. And so, when Moses is praying, God, show me your glory, he is saying, God, I want to experience your presence, to be wrapped up in your reality and to be enveloped in your beauty. I want to see you, and I want to know you. Amen. And the Lord says, I will make my goodness pass before you and proclaim my name. Note, Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I will go one better and I will show you my goodness as I proclaim my name. Wow. Now, in the ancient Near East, a name was more than just a label like George or Henry or whatever. It was more of an identity because there was meaning behind a name. Take, for example, Jacob. His name means what? Deceiver. Deceiver. And that he was. He deceived his brother Esau and his father Isaac when he stole the birthright. However, later in the story, he wrestles with God and is renamed Israel, which means contended with God or triumphant with God. And this renaming, is not just a rebranding exercise like the chocolate, which went from being called Marathon to Snickers back in the day, if you can remember back that far. But Jacob renamed Israel is a means of giving him his new identity. That he is no longer a swindler or a deceiver, but he is triumphant with God. Amen. And so, when God says, I will pass before you and proclaim my name, he is saying, Moses, I will show you exactly who and what I am like. And as you know, the Lord hides him in the cleft of a rock and covers him with his hand He passes before him, removes his hand so that Moses can see the back of the Lord's glory because no man can see God's face and live. Exodus 33, 20. Amen. And so, as the Lord passes by, he declares, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And on it goes. 
Now, there is so much packed into these couple of verses that we're going to spend some time unpacking over the coming weeks. But today, let us start by looking at the words, the Lord. And then next time, we will look at the Lord. And thereafter, we will break it down even further. And so, let us look at the words, the Lord. Now, you may have noticed in your Bibles that the word Lord appears in all capitals. Do you see that? Yeah. Now, whenever you see the word Lord in all capitals in the Old Testament, it is replacing the name of God. And it is known as the Tetragrammaton, and it is spelt Y-H-W-H. Why? Because firstly, there are no written vowels in the Hebrew language, only consonants. And so no one knows exactly how the ancient name of God is pronounced. However, the general consensus is that it is pronounced Yahweh. You're right. Secondly, a few hundred years BC, or before Christ, the Jews stopped uttering the name of Yahweh out loud because they were afraid of offending or breaking the third commandment of taking the Lord's name in vain. And so they swapped out Yahweh and they replaced it with Adonai, which means Lord or Master in the generic sense. But then, when the scriptures were translated into English, instead of reverting back to the original Yahweh, they stuck with tradition, and thus we have Lord in all capitals. But it is the ancient name of God, which is Yahweh. Yahweh. That's right. I said that just to buy myself some time to drink some water. <laughs> and it is such a shame, because the Lord isn't actually a name, but it's a title. It's like this, calling God the Lord is like me calling Becky the wife or the missus. I mean, it's not exactly the the terms of intimacy now, right? Likewise, Becky doesn't call me the reverend or the pastor or his holiness, but rather I am simply Rana because we're in relationship with one another. And it is, it's such a shame that the translators stuck with tradition and not the revealed name of God. But there we go, another sermon for another time, perhaps, or, or maybe not. Now, let us just very briefly trace the name of God and its development throughout the scriptures. And let's begin in Genesis 1 and verse 1 where it says, Bereshit bara Elohim, et heshamayam vayet aretz, in the Hebrew. Or if you prefer it in the English, it is, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the word Elohim here in the Hebrew is, a, is the word God. And just like the English, it is not a name, but it's a title. And so up to this point, all we know is that there is a God and he creates. 
But then we go over to Genesis chapter 17, and there we see the Lord appears to Abram, who is now 99 years old, and he introduces himself as El Shaddai, or God Almighty. Now, El is a Canaanite word for God, and not just any old God, but in Canaanite mythology, he was considered to be a creator God and a ruler over other gods. And so, the Lord says to Abram, I am El Shaddai, meaning I am kind of like El, the creator God, ruler over other gods, but I am more. So walk before me and be blameless. Genesis 17, 1. But then, fast forward a few hundred years later and go to Exodus chapter 3. And there we find the descendants of Abraham who are all now in captivity in Egypt. But then, one day, while Moses is tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, He comes across a bush that is set aflame, but it doesn't seem to burn. And so he moves in closer to investigate, and God calls to him from the bush and says, Do not come near, but take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he says, I am the God of your fathers the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And God says, I have seen the affliction of my people, and I have heard their cry, and I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. And then God says, I am sending you, Moses, to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses is like, God, you've got the wrong person. Anyone else felt like that? Yeah. But then Moses realizes that his excuses aren't going to fly. They're not going to wash. And so he says, what if the Israelites ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He says, say to the people, I am has sent me to you. God also says, say this to the people, the Lord or Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. Wow. Now, the Hebrew phrase, I am who I am, is Erhyeh Asher Erhyeh. However, because it is in the imperfect tense, it could also be translated as I will, I will be who I will be or what I am, I will be. Meaning that God is immutable and he is unchanging. That he remains constant 24-7 for 52. And also note here that first God says, tell Israel, I am who I am has sent me But then later on he switches it and says, tell them the Lord has sent me. So what happened to I am? Well, we are told that I am who I am, or Erhyeh Asher Erhyeh, 
is in the first person form, while the Lord or Yahweh is in the third person form, meaning that when God says, this is my name, it is Erhyeh. But when we say, this is God's name, it is Yahweh. But essentially, it's the same thing. Make sense? Not to worry if it doesn't. Just for extra credit. If uh... <laughs> I kid. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses wants to know what God is like. But he isn't given much apart from the name Yahweh. But then, when we skip over to Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it is there that God fills in the blanks and answers his request by making a full disclosure as to who he is and what he is like. That he is a God who is what? Merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Glory. Now, if we were to continue to trace the name of God throughout the scriptures, it will eventually all culminate and crescendo in the person of Jesus. Praise God. I mean, according to the Apostle John, the story of God has all along been pointing towards the Christ. I mean, John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, as we heard last week. Verse 17, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. And note the language that John employs because it is deliberate. I mean, he uses the word dwelt, which could also be translated as tent. Or tabernacle. And then he uses this coupling of grace and truth, which scholars tell us is an echo of Exodus 34. In other words, the language that John is using, like words like tent and glory, grace and truth, law and Moses, what he's doing is he is retelling the Exodus story around Jesus. And he is saying quite categorically and in no uncertain terms that when we behold or see Jesus, we behold the beauty, the glory, and the majesty of Yahweh. Because as Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. John 14, 9, for I and my Father are one John ten thirty. Praise God. In other words, when we see Jesus in Him, we see exactly what 
and who God is like. Isn't that wonderful? And so, to summarize, when Moses prayed, God, show me your glory, the answer to that prayer wasn't fully revealed or realized until Jesus put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as it were, as Eugene Peterson so wonderfully put it. Or as the writer to the Hebrews puts it and says, long ago, at many times and in various ways, God spoke to our fathers via the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us via his Son, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. Hebrews chapter 1, glory. You can say glory. You can get excited. Or am I the only one getting excited up here this morning? This is Jesus who is speaking about church. Oh, praise him. Now, what does it all mean? And what's it got to do with the price of fish, as it were? In other words, why should we even care? Well... We ought to care because God is real. That he's not just a figment of our imagination or an abstract thought or a made-up concept somewhere. And neither is he a chapter in a theology book, a church or a religious system, but rather he is the ancient of days. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In other words, he is actual, factual, tangible and real and he is a person. Amen. 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 And because he is, it means that he is relational and knowable and he wants to know you and I. And that's the story of God, isn't it? From Genesis right the way through to Revelation that God wants to know us and be known by us. And he has made a way for us to know him via his son. Can somebody give him praise? And so... If you are here this morning, and if you do not know this one we call the Christ, then I cannot urge you enough, but simply come to him today. Because he is more real than I am standing up here right now, and he is waiting for you to come. So come. Amen? Amen. Alternatively, If you have known Jesus for a while now, but perhaps you're feeling distant from him, or you feel as if you're just going through the motions, if that's you, I want to encourage you to simply pray in the same vein as Moses and say, God, will you show me your glory? That unless you go before me, I don't even want to move from here. But show me your ways, your goodness and your glory that I may know you. 
If that's your desire this morning, then tell him. Because his promise is, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. Jeremiah 33, 3. And so, wherever you are on that spectrum, whether you are distant or whether you are desperate for more of him, run to him this morning. Because whoever draws close to him, he will by no means cast out. John 6, 37. Amen. Amen. You see... Moses prayed, God, show me your glory. And I believe that that's a valid prayer for us also to pray. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to just go through ritual and religion week in, week out, just going through the motions. And that's not the worship that God desires, where we pay him lip service with our mouths, but our hearts are far from him. He doesn't want that. He wants all of us to give, to bring to him. And when we bring all that we are, no matter where we are, it's like the widow's mite and her oil, a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. When we bring our little, it is then that God breathes upon it and increases and multiplies it. So whatever you're carrying, whatever you have in your bag, as it were, or in your home or wherever you are, bring it to him. And see him do the work of multiplication. And I tell you, I don't know one person who has ever come to faith in Jesus has ever turned around and said, actually, I regret being a Christian. I don't know any one of those people. Because when we come to him, it's a a win-win situation. We can't lose. And he exchanges all of our sorrows, all of our griefs. Not to say he takes them away in this world. No, we'll still pass through them. But he gives us that assurance of his presence because he is with us every step of the way. And I don't know about you, but I want more of God, not less. It's like the more that I walk with Jesus it's like the more I realize how little I actually know of him, you know. And it's where he says, come, come higher, son. Come higher, daughter. I have so much more for you. But yet, why do we, you know, stay in the shallows and just splash around in the shallows when there is a whole ocean for us to enter in and go deeper, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, until we're swimming in his grace and his mercy. And this is our God, church. And the good news is that we can have more of him. It's like when I first become a Christian, someone says how how you can have as much of God as you want of him. That if you just scratch the surface, he will meet you there in his grace. But if you get out the shovel and you start digging that trench, he will meet you in that trench. So the challenge, the question is, how much do we desire him 
Does he have the affections of our hearts? Do we long to be with him? Because he longs to be with you. He really does. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Because when we enter into his presence, it's not misery and gloom. It's not what the psalm says. It says in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So why do we settle for anything less? True? And the truth is that God wants to commune with us just like Moses face to face. We can have that with him. So let us continue to seek after him and let us continue to seek him for others and let us continue to pray Lord show us your beauty your glory and your majesty that we may know you and in turn make you known to those outside who don't know you our lost brothers and sisters who are running around who don't know the love of a father. So let us know him and make him known. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Jesus. Father, we are so grateful for what you have done. Lord, we can't even put words, Lord, around the, the, this outrageous, this scandalous grace, God, that you have put before us. As my sister started, as she was worshipping, Father, the, the word grace. God, we can't even comprehend what it actually means, God, that you didn't send, Father, the angel Gabriel to come and die upon a tree, but God, you yourself put on flesh, God, and you took our place, you become, you became our substitutionary atonement. Father, we want to thank you that that was the beginning, God, of you reconciling us back to your heart. That we can know you, Father. That we can be enveloped in your presence and, Lord, in your reality. And so, Father, I pray that, Father, that. We will continually, God, as we open ourselves to you, as we look to you, God, will you deepen your work within us? Lord, we're not satisfied with with what we have or what we know of you, but God, we want more of you, God, to flow, Lord God, in your people and out of your people to a dying and lost world that they will know the heart of the Father And then it's a heart that beats for us, that you are with us every step of the way. That God, you haven't left us as orphans, Father, but Lord, you have called us and given us the position of son and daughter. That we are children of the Most High God. Father, we pray that as we get to know you more, I pray that we will come to know who we are in you. Because as your word says, those who know their God will do great exploits, Father. And may we do all that we do for your great glory and for your great honor and your fame. 
So, Father, we bless you this morning. And we just want to say that, Lord, we love you. We worship you. And we adore you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen.